think we can't escape the the giant uh, Elonephant, El- Elonephant, whatever the right would be. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO, and on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, to share some marketing street knowledge that will hopefully inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. I'm recording this on Saturday the 12th of November. I hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In this week's episode, Jeff Clark and I discuss personas. I learn about sports sponsorship with Kelly Troyer of Clandestine Events and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail with Robert Rose. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident Rockstar CMO advisor, seasoned B2B marketing leader, and former Forrester research director. Hello, Ian. Nice to have you back here in the studio. <laughs> I love how we figured this out. It's your studio. You're welcoming me to it. That's right. I'll, I'll let you have the first word. That's right. That's perfect. So, and, and a huge change in the way that this program now works with you going first. So yeah. Splendid. Well, the thing is, you have all the well, equipment, though. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for welcoming me to, to the Rockstars Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark. Very good. How are things going? Okay, so this how's the weather? I see, yes. I can see through the for the window. It's oh, very yeah. dark and stormy outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know how it is here in the UK. After five o'clock, it's pitch black. Yeah, and so yes, we're recording this in my evening, which is uh, it's quite dark. You're quite right, uh, but we haven't had a bad day actually. It's, there was some sunshine today, so that was quite nice. Good. A nice fall day <laughs> um, or winter day, I suppose. All right, so. Um, this week, uh, after we chatted last week, we thought we'd have a crack at the big topic, which is personas. Uh, and, you know, marketers, you and me, have been talking about persona-based marketing for years, maybe a couple of decades. I don't know if we want to age ourselves. <laughs> and, uh, I think we've already constant. done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mostly with the music choices. But, yeah, we've been referencing personas on the show quite often, and so have many of my guests. 
um, and we talk about the buying needs. But um, yeah, I think we'll just li- have a little dig into what these things are. So what say you, Jeff? Where did this persona stop? Well, from? you know, it, uh, when we were talking about this, I thought, I thought, you know, I should, ch- I should just like ask Mr. Google, like, so where did this come from? <laughs> because to yeah. me, it, it, you mean you say you just didn't know? Well, I, head? you I know, thought, it, it, I thought you were like the marketing well, oracle. It's kind of one of those. It's one of well, it didn't start at Oracle, but one of, it's one of those things that <laughs> that it's like it's been around enough that you'd say, well, it, it yeah. must have been around forever. You know, this must be one of those mm. things that the advertising geniuses in the '60s came up with, or whatever. Yeah. And and um and so I it, I was uh, surprised. That mm-hmm. actually, uh, the birth of the term came uh, in 1999. Alan Cooper published a book wow. called "The Inmates Are Running the Asylum," which I was like, I mean, actually, I, re- I remember hearing about that book because um, it's actually about software yeah. design. And he, mm-hmm. in the book, distinguishes between user personas to help build good interfaces and buying right. personas. So even though, I mean, yeah. certainly the idea of, particularly in consumer marketing, the idea of like creating some sort of um, iconic view of who your buyer is, is, is not necessarily new, Mm -hmm. but the whole concept of like talking about buyer personas came out of that because then uh, uh, the people writing and doing work for pragmatic marketing and for Forrester research connected with Alan Cooper's group and then started like teasing these ideas out to make them more useful for marketers. And so it's like, wow, that's, that's where it all started. 1999, wow. I mean, that book is newer than some of the music we play on this it show. It is probably newer <laughs> than the choice we'll end up with. <laughs> <laughs> so it came from some work by Alan Cooper, that's, and, and the inmates are running the asylum. So I'll include a link to that in the show yep. notes. But why is it that we think the personas are so important? Why do we always bang on about them? Jeff? We bang on them because, you know, it's <laughs> they provide a way to abstract the view of the customer without actually naming, you know, John Doe and mm-hmm. you know, every customer in your yeah. in your database, um, you know. So in in business to consumer, you know, marketing it it becomes mm-hmm. a kind of a type of buyer. So you could have, and I love this because I uh, another link you should provide <laughs> a list of of, of uh, typical personas. There was impatient impatient Ian, discount Daisy, <laughs> researcher Richard. And 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 uh-huh. you certainly are not impatient, so you should probably contact that person <laughs> and say, could you could you yeah. could you pick somebody different? Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. so you know, I mean, it's bad enough when they name hurricanes after me. Yeah, right. Right. that's right. That's right. Well. <laughs> that's right. But the idea that you could say, I mean, just when you think about impatient mm-hmm. discount, so you know, mm-hmm. for any particular product, you're going to have people that go and dive deep into research before they make their decision. You're going to have people yeah. that just like, hey, when's when's the sale coming up? Um, and then, but in business to business consumer or sorry, business to business marketing and selling, we, you know, we, we do think of, since it's a multiple people who are making the decisions, then, you know, who fits into the champion, the decision maker, the influencer, the gatekeeper, and, and, and so, you know, I mean, I'm reciting from Forrester, the, and, and serious decisions, (laughs) the, the generic terms for types of people, but as we'll get into, you know, Mm -hmm. there's. There's different ways of looking at that, and you can provide names for those guys as well. Chuck the Champion yeah. or something like that. Um, <laughs> but but when you when you get this view of these different individuals that are involved in the buying process, yeah. then you can construct your messaging and your programs to target them, as opposed to being you know vanilla content across yeah. everything. 
And in our systems these days, thank goodness, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can start identifying the personas by looking at, you know, what they're posting on mm-hmm. social, what their group affiliations are, their browsing behavior, purchase yeah. behavior, you know, and, and, and yeah. so, you know, we've got the tools to actually start building out some substance and detail around these kind of abstract concepts we may have created in a, you know, with a whiteboard in a conference room. Yeah. 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 Well, a couple of things there. One, one of those um, about, yeah, abstract in, in the conference room. And also for me, and we'll maybe we'll get onto this, but for me, naming, it shouldn't be just some rant and some nice alliteration of, you know, what did you say? Chuck the champion. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. I, I always encourage organizations to actually, once you've defined these, go and look in your CRM and find that person. Because if you can't find that person, the persona is shit anyway, yeah. but also then refer to the persona as that person. And then that really brings it to life it's, rather than some random name. I think. Yeah, it certainly helps. It helps fill in a lot of details, particularly, yeah. you know, if you're yeah. trying to describe this to salespeople and you can say, it's yeah. like, it's this guy at yeah. that company. This is that, yeah, over, yeah, over there. You know that, guy. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. So, that's kind of why it is that we care about personas and why we think they're important. By the way, do you think, um, mind you, your experience is like mine, it's mostly B2B, isn't it? I, I don't know how deep one goes in B2C. Um, in terms of in terms of um, persona and buyers, that'd be I, interesting. I so. think they I think they go fairly deep. Matter of fact, I think when mm. you had Liz High on uh, earlier, yeah. she referenced and and she didn't. I meant to ask you before. She didn't call them personas, but she did. You know, you know, basically give the term for the kind of you know we've got we've got people of different profiles who are yeah, our clients, yeah, yeah. and uh, and you've 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 yeah. got to be able to market and sell to all of them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so but as B two B is, we I mean personas are the kind of the core of what we do. But so that's what they can do for us. But what is a persona not? What is it not? It, it it's um yeah. so it's not a title or a group of titles. Which which I think yeah. if you know certainly I, I don't know may have uh, may have you know done that sin at some point in my career where it's like you know we're going after the <laughs> VP of operations or we're going after yeah. you know C level titles or the you know and yeah. and that gets it's it's too generic um and yeah. and what you may end up doing is is that you know once you've defined personas you you may ascribe titles to them you know because you say yeah. you know if there's a buyer in sales and it's you know, so it's likely a yeah. leader in sales operations or what and so you you, you may yeah. end up doing that and doing some some matrices to help you with that but uh yeah. but but you don't want to start there and and the the danger <clears throat> one of the dangers of doing it by title is that you know a person um could you know, for even solutions you're selling could fill different mm-hmm. roles, buying roles. So therefore fill, fulfill mm-hmm. different, be different personas depending on mm-hmm. the solution, the situation, the, the, you know, yeah. the, um, the size of the deal or whatever. So, so, yeah. so sticking with titles is, I, uh, is very dangerous. Starting with titles. Yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I think there's two points there that you make. I think that sometimes there's an aspiration to sell to the C-suite. You know, we've both been in an organization that oh, yeah. we're like, we're going to sell to CMOs. But, yeah. And I think that's also where persona work can really help in terms of defining, well, 
you know, once you start thinking about the needs of that person and you realise, actually, no. (laughs) And once you try and look for them in the CRM, you realise, actually, our buyer is not the CMO. It's somebody else. They're just an influencer on it. But also, what I quite, yeah. And also, I think with titles, there, if you're you're going to build your personas on needs or values, then a risk of a CIO and a risk of a CMO may have, from a content marketing perspective, may need very similar things and have a lot more in common with each other than their than their individual roles would would suggest. Correct. Right? So, yep. You know, so I think that's good. So that's so we so a persona is not a job title. A persona is something else. So how do we define these personas? What, what's your approach to this? Um. So. There are, I think there's a, a series of steps you can take, and um, I've mm-hmm. sort of initially kind of put down uh, seven steps because I don't never want to go beyond seven. Oh, we love steps, and um, yeah. and so, but I'm really disappointed though, Jeff. Normally we only go for five. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, there was more to do. F in five, actually, and and uh, as, yes, and um, I think yeah. as we as we go through this, we'll find out. Well, then there's the not just defining it, but then there's like, well, what are we yeah. what are we going to do with now that we've got this information? That's what are right. we going to do with it? So, yeah. so the the place yeah. to start, as as is typical, um, as the mm-hmm. drum that we beat on the show, is to start with the needs of the organization yeah. organizations you are serving. So, so yeah. you know there is an organizational need, um, and uh, you know you're trying to help them do something. So. I was actually, yeah. as I was going through this, I was kind of thinking of using customer data platform as kind of a, you know, uh, a, a way of going um, through examples so that this, yeah. you know, provides a yeah. little bit of color to it. But so, you know, with yeah. a, we, if we're selling a customer data platform, we're trying to enable organizations to enhance and provide a really holistic view of their client and prospect data. You know, you right. could call various things, single view of customer, et cetera, et cetera. But that's mm. that's the organizational need, and so then you'd say, oh well, so who who would be trying to solve that problem? So that so now we're just trying right. to determine the typical members of a buying group, um, you know. And yeah. again, if we use the generic terms, who's going to be the champion? Who's going to make the decisions? People influencing yeah. people, being gatekeepers, etc. Yeah. And and the interesting thing about thinking about the customer uh, data platform as a as a, an example is that. So that you know the the leader, whatever term we want to give the champion, I should say, whatever term we want to give it, is probably going to be somebody who's leading an initiative about data quality and visibility. And then, and then it's like, well, is that is that the, well, it's not the CMO because the CMO is probably. I mean, the CMO might be saying we need to do this, but he's not going to be the one yeah. who's who's leading the initiative. Um, yeah. and it could not, it could be somebody in marketing, like in digital marketing or marketing ops, it could be somebody in sales, or it could be somebody in a, you know, perhaps there's a corporate analytics team. And in the past they used, you know, data warehouses or maybe some things that they're, they're trying to move from one set of solutions to a more contemporary set of solutions. So the champion, you know, you want to look at defining that, that person as being, you know the person who's driving that data quality and visibility initiative. Uh, I've, yeah, I've always thought of the champion or the sponsor as the most senior person who feels the pain of what you're solving. Right? It can't be it, but 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 it, it's per, it's mean? the person who is who's driving the process. So they're the ones yeah. who are going to be first. Yeah. So we may yeah, we may that, be talking yeah. about semantics here, but they're they're going to be the first yeah. one who is actually out. 
doing the research and saying, we have a problem here. So they're likely mm-hmm. going to be, I mean, at least in our case, they're likely going to be a senior leader, um, but it may not necessarily be your... What I meant was it recognizes in themselves that they have... Yes, them. yes, so, absolutely. So this, is, yeah, not, not the... I mean, we know that in your example of CDP, sure, the CMO, CRO, and CFO also have the pain. They just don't know it. Whereas there's somebody lower in the food chain that's gone, I'm tired now of doing this. I want change. And I will try and drive this change. And so it's the most senior person who's feeling that pain. Right. right? And they may align themselves with, you know, with, you know, Mm. who would I would put into the category of the decision makers. So, you know, if they're if they're somebody leading digital marketing and they say, I got to solve this, then their CMO or their VP, their head of marketing is the decision maker. Um, Again, if they're in sales then it's going to be the chief revenue officer or it could be the CFO because they're again, maybe it's the finance team that's trying to gain this visibility. Um, So so there again, you know, you've you've depending on, on where the buying center is uh, or the center mm-hmm. of the buying center is in this case, you know, these people may be, may be different. And, um, and then when you get down to the, you know, influencers and users, okay. and so there's going to be lots, lots of people providing input. Uh, and then you may have a gatekeeper who's likely in it and or in legal who would be very interested in the decision you're making here. Um so anyway, so you want to you want to be able to. That's your second. That's step. my second step. But you're building you're <laughs> right. you're building out the 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 set yeah. of individuals, the buying group, who are part yeah. of the buying group, who are the personas you're trying to define. Because then the, the yeah. next step is to translate the you know that organizational need to enhance and provide yeah. you know the holistic view of it. Now I got to translate that down to the you know the functional level you know the where where this person yeah. is sitting and. Um, so that you know, that's mm-hmm. you know, and depending. I mean, this is where I think depending on whether they're in sales, marketing, or an analytics team is like they're going to come at it from different perspectives, and you've got to be able to you've got to be able to flesh that out um, so that both when you're running your marketing and when salespeople are calling on these people, they've got they've got that that context yeah. in mind. Right. So you started with the needs of the whole organization. You decided on the buying group, the champion, decision maker, influencers and users and the gatekeepers. And then you've applied those needs that you originally identified step number one as to how that impacts each of these group people in the buying group. Right? Correct. And their perspective. Yep. Right. So then then what's step number four? Well, then you're starting to you're, you're you know, you're building a depth of information about each of those personas. So like what what are the related challenges and initiatives? Um, you know, they're driving change in the organization. So, you know, there could mm-hmm. be multiple uh, things that are doing that, you know, customer experience improvement, you know, pipeline or, re- pipeline or revenue analysis, you know, improving digital marketing effectiveness. And that's certainly that's where you can say if, if, if our champion is, is sitting in the marketing department, there's some of these initiatives that they're going to align more to than if they're sitting in sales or another function. So... So, so yeah, building okay, out your, so, your, 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 now that you've created your persona, you're creating kind of a stack of information underneath each one of those okay. individuals. Okay. So this is, so we've talked about, so is this like additional needs that they may have that, um, that are outside? Yeah. I'm not sure. I understand. Well, so it's, it's the not, related yeah, it's not, it's not additional needs as much as it is. 
you know, what are, what are, um, what are they trying to achieve? Or it's, it, what are things that are going on in the organization that right. can relate to this, this need? So is there, um, you know, uh, uh, an initiative around customer experience improvement? Is there initiative around right. data analytics and, um, uh, or, right. So this is a discovery within the natural client then, or is this, or are we actually designing a persona and saying, typically this, these things, these are things that would be involved. Yep. And but, these are things that are, okay. that are going on in lots of organizations that, yeah, yeah. that we know they're going to be trying to, right. to, um, right. to drive change around. And, and these could be triggers yep. that, that we could, that we could use. Okay. So that's the full step. So what's next? So is to is to kind of build out the uh, you know the functional attributes, and so the functional attributes yeah. are things like you know so you know we, we've we've described these people. I know I know when, as we've been talking about it, we've been throwing around you know potential titles and organizational roles and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but if we keep it generic at the top, this is where we get to say so for you know here are typical um, titles, here are typical job roles, here's typically their position in the organization. Um, here's typically where the, the buying center is. And and if there's any kind of firmographic uh, variable, um, this is where we'd want to put it. So, you know, maybe in larger organizations, this per, this yeah. persona is, um, you know, I mean, it might be at the director level, whereas in smaller organizations, maybe this persona is at the C level. So, so right. again, we're providing, we're providing that additional layer of information for us to help find these okay. people so, right okay um so uh, so okay so so we know we know the organization's needs we've defined the personas um out and how the needs relate to each of them and then what other things they may be working on and then some functional ways we might discover them so this might be where we introduce typical job titles and stuff like that so what's the sixth step? sixth step is to say where do they fit in the decision-making process. So, you know, and in, in, in generally, if we go back to our generic term for these personas, yeah. the champion is going to be early in the process. Influencers come yeah. in as you're developing the solution. Decision-makers yeah. and gatekeepers typically come in, in you know, as they're getting down to yeah. actual vendor selection. So, yeah. um, you know, you want to be able to understand you know where they're fitting in the process because then your um you know the the interactions you are planning for the content you're developing will be relative to you know their needs their mindset their perspective at this particular point in the in the buying process and one of the things that you know is to just kind of like as an and as an aside is we got to go through and you're you know, people are kind of tracking all this. So, okay, we got to get this information, that information is, you know, you really want to be able to prioritize what personas you're trying to focus on from a, particularly if we're talking about marketing from a marketing perspective, because, you know, you could, you could drive yourself nutty just trying to say, oh my gosh, there's all these different potential people who could be involved in the buying process. And I got to get all this information about all these people you really want to prioritize who is the most important to you from a marketing perspective. And certainly from when you're running your campaigns and spending your money and trying to get eyeballs and <laughs> you know, build content, you, you want to have that prioritization up front because otherwise you'll be developing tons of content that you know you're, somebody will never read. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, it's funny because where they fit in the decision making process, I would have, I would have put that a little earlier, but so, so we've, 
we figured out we figured out our personas and um, how how the needs translates to them and and some of their functional attributes and where they fit in the decision making process. But and so, what's the seventh step? And looking at the time, maybe we should have done this over two different episodes. But yeah, what's seventh um, step is to uh, determine their behavioral attributes. Where you know mm-hmm. who's doing the research online, who gauges with sales and dem- does demos, who sits in on mm-hmm. demos, where. Where, you know where does IT get called in to help determine the final selection? So, um, yeah. which again is part of the decision making process. But it's like you want to know um, again for, for when you're designing your content in your campaigns, you want to know what kind of content and, and interactions will actually engage this person. Right. <laughs> well, I don't think we've quite done this topic justice but we're we're up to time so maybe we need to come back to this i think well yeah i, I uh, think a, then, a good follow-on yeah, to this so. would be to how do we yeah. make how do we make this information actionable yeah yeah absolutely and also i i think there's some other things we need to consider as well with the personas these days but that's interesting so uh we're on the last part of the agenda what song are we going to play out with then Jeff? we're going to play out with close to you and there's a lot of top, a lot of songs called close to you but this is one by maxi <laughs> yeah. priest 1990 so emotional <laughs> gagged and bound there's more to this than meets the eye uh, i think we've proved that it is more to this than meets and, the and eye. more and more <laughs> so than we'll fits in 20 minutes <laughs> yeah all right mate. well thank you very much for trying to get personas into 20 minutes i think we need to dive into this a bit more detail another week sounds good uh Ab- and talking of other weeks will you let me into the marketing studio <laughs> if, you, if you're nice and you're not impatient yes she was a jezebel this brixton queen living a life like a backstreet dream Telling my lies when the truth was clear I think she knew what I wanted to hear Spin them around like a wheel on fire Walking on tightrope and love's highway Fatal attraction is where I'm at There's no escaping me I just wanna Thank you, Jeff. And that was Close to You by Maxi Priest from 1990, which surprisingly predates the idea of personas, a topic we will return to next week. And if you have any thoughts on what we discussed there, give us a shout on the socials. You can find us at Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. Right. It's time for me to go backstage with this week's guest, Kelly Troyer, who has the wonderful title of Chief Astonishment Officer at Clandestine Events. With over 20 years experience leading branding initiatives for household brands like Walmart stores and Whole Foods, Kelly now specialises in turning brand values into actionable event marketing. Fiercely dedicated and passionate about bringing people together, Kelly strives to make every clandestine event the experience of a lifetime. It was splendid to meet Kelly. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome, Kelly, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Ian? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. And where are we speaking to you from? I am actually in Austin, Texas. I love Austin. I love Austin. And and I presume it's a beautiful day in Austin because it's always a beautiful day in Austin. It's actually a little overcast today, which is very oh my unusual. God. Yes, yes. 
you caught me on the one overcast day. It was foggy this morning, which was really weird. But um, wow. most days it's yeah, it's pretty sunny. But yeah, that's well, it's fa- fantastic city. One of my one of my favorites in the US. Um, I think when we were preparing for the podcast, I talked about working for a vendor called Vignette. They were based in Austin. Had yeah. a great time there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, we're not here to talk about me and my my past or your city or the weather. We're here to talk about you. <laughs> Tell us a bit about yourself, Kelly. Um, well, I grew up on the East Coast in mm-hmm. uh, New Jersey, and um, I have a. I come from a long line of printers. My dad owned a mm-hmm. printing business, pretty big printing business outside of um, the Meadowlands, and um, so I think my background in print kind of plays mm-hmm. into my career. Um, and once I graduated from college, I actually started, um, in HTML programming. So I was doing, um, website design and HTML programming back in the, um, in the old days. Um, (laughs) uh, it sadly is now when I think about it, um, Mm -hmm. But I ended up in New York where I was working for a company called Music Boulevard. Um, We were selling uh, music CDs online and they ended up getting acquired by CD Now. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that. That was one of my questions when I was doing my research and I was really interested. Yeah, if you're if you're of a certain uh, a certain vintage, I guess we all remember CD now and 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 all and those those brands from back then. But right now, you're with Clandestine Events, right? What do you do? Um, so Clandestine is an event and experiential production company. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, we produce events for uh, both private and corporate clients. Um, we started out focused on milestone events, uh, like big birthday parties, 40th birthdays. Uh, our clients tend to have pretty large budgets and are really looking to kind of like blow it out for a certain celebration. Um, and then also on the corporate side, we do, um, quite a bit of, uh, corporate events. Um, Mm -hmm. so good mix between the two. We dabbled in weddings, but, um, (laughs) I didn't even plan my own wedding, um, so <laughs> probably pretty good that I'm no longer planning weddings. <laughs> <laughs> Splendid. Um, and I guess um, the last few years have been uh, tricky for you with uh, with events and stuff. Is it picking up now? Is 2022 been much better? I mean, how's yeah, it going in Yeah, this is actually it's been our best year to date. Um, we have been actually really fortunate with, uh, one of our uh, largest clients, which they do a lot of, um, activations in, uh, the motorsport side of, um, Uh marketing. Um, and so even during the pandemic, they Mm -hmm. had us, um, working on some events for them, um, in relation to IndyCar, they sponsor the Indy 500. So, um, nice. so yeah, so it's been, it's been a, a really good year for us this year. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about sports marketing in a moment and just generally on events. I mean, we're seeing certainly in my business in you know, my day job and stuff, it's a bit patchy, isn't it? Some events are attracting a lot of people back and some events, maybe not so much. Are you, are you seeing the same is, or is everybody back pre COVID everything super? Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I, it definitely feels a little thinner, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think people are being more, um, they are valuing their time maybe a little bit more. I and agree, so, yeah. 
um, they're being more selective about mm-hmm. where they think they want to yeah. basically go, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the the ability to, to attend something virtually, you know, mm-hmm. people will that option if they want to kind of poke mm-hmm. in, but they don't want to necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. carve out two to three days, travel, leave their family. Um, yeah. so, but by and large, uh, I just got back from Vegas not too long ago and it was pretty, mm-hmm. um, pretty, very busy actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, I think from a trade, I mean, I'm a B2B marketer and from a trade show perspective, I think you're getting fewer people, but they're much more considered, aren't they? So probably more yes. serious buyer. You're probably getting a better yes, group of folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally anyway, so back, back to your, back to your marketing career. Um, you mentioned being with CD now, was that your first marketing job? Um, was that my first? I mean, I, you know, I worked for my dad at his printing <laughs> cool. company. Um, yeah. so I, I guess maybe that was kind of sort of mm-hmm. marketing. Um, so I've always just kind of been in that space. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I really enjoy it. So, um, yeah, Is that it what feels, inspired... feels like the right spot for me. Is that Pardon what inspired me? to get you to, was it the family business that inspired you to get into marketing? Um, I think honestly, when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a famous DJ like Howard Stern. Yeah. Um, yes. So Howard Stern was my idol and, Mm -hmm. um, that was my goal in life. Uh, and then I realized that that seemed like kind of a lofty goal and he kind of had the corner of the market. So I, my goal um Uh and uh and ended up going more into like the html space which i thought was really kind of an interesting um interesting area to be in especially considering uh coming from from the print side so yeah yeah and i guess um it sounds like you're a digital marketer before they called it digital marketing i guess or did we yeah i mean you know because i was around i mean just thinking about those websites that we developed they were so (laughs) hideous (laughs) they were just (laughs) terrible um but that was you know that was all you had you know they were very flat and static um so anyway um you been seeding now when they got acquired uh i was yes Yeah, yeah yep so i had just i was just leaving um, they got acquired and I was planning on moving to San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I left, uh, New York and moved to San Francisco, left CD now and, mm-hmm. um, lucked out and got a job working for walmart.com. Um, so yes. And that was like, it, like they were just relaunching the website and I was, mm-hmm. um, one of their original members over there, um, spent, mm-hmm. I think four and a half years at walmart.com and then um they got folded under walmart stores and i was one of the very few actually i think there was me and and the cmo who um (laughs) were to relocate to bentonville so i left san francisco after about four and a half years and moved to bentonville wow Wow. So you'd move them from being a HTML coded by them to to more of a marketing strategist, I guess, for them. Yeah, I actually was doing project management and creative management. So I was Mm -hmm. kind of like managing the creative teams from a project management production side. Um, And so when I went over to Walmart stores, 
uh, one of the big projects that we, um, and this I consider to be sort of my, the crowning jewel of my career was mm-hmm. uh, the complete rebranding of Walmart. So um, we took the old logo where it said wall star Mart and mm-hmm. totally, um, redesigned the logo we uh came up with the new tagline save money look better mm-hmm. uh redid all the signage uniforms 18 wheelers um wow. uh, even the uh powerpoints so it wow. was uh top to bottom it was it was pretty wow. cool and i and see it today way- and i i'm still i still get excited <laughs> when i see when i see the logo Nice. And yeah, it, it, is that where you met John Andrews? He's a former guest on the show, I think. Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 John was there too. All right. Well, um, yes. <laughs> um, now, to move a little bit further forward, I do want to ask you, actually, yeah. how did you then shift from being a marketer to being in events? Was that, was that an epiphany? You just thought, this is what I've always wanted to do, or, apart from being Howard Stern? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I am um, a bit of an extrovert. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think the event it's, it's funny cause I'm actually an extrovert, but I'm a little bit of an introvert. Like mm-hmm. I like the production side of things being behind the scenes, watching everything sort of like happen and mm-hmm. take place, but I'm not really the kind of person that needs a ton of, um, attention on myself. Um, and I think the ev- events side of business is really interesting. So it gives us the ability to essentially like sort of design something for someone else where they get to take all the credit and I just get to yeah. stand behind them. And well, actually I did all that. Um, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, it, I think there's a lot of similarities between the event space mm-hmm. and marketing space. Um, so it was sort of a natural, um, progression for me to, right. to move into events. Right. Yeah. We, um, yeah, I've worked with an experiential agency in the past in, in Germany and, um, love what you guys do the ideas you guys have and, and putting things together like trade shows and stuff all right so um moving forward more forward and you mentioned this earlier about sports marketing and i'm intrigued by this we've not really talked about sports marketing on the show very much and i'm a bit of a sports fan so i thought god i have kelly on the show we've got to talk about this <laughs> so and i saw you'd re- written about it on linkedin and your blog so yes one firstly why is sports i mean why why should we consider as marketers why should we consider sports marketing the basic question let's start there um i mean honestly i think it's a really i think it's a really good opportunity for um for a business to check a lot of different boxes that they may mm-hmm. not even necessarily be considering so um the obvious um, way to engage in sports marketing and a sports marketing activation is to do something that is um, customer facing, B two C essentially. Right. Um, right. So we we call that like a Gen Pop experience, where you've got the general population they come in, they experience mm-hmm. it, yada yada. Yeah. Um, right. And but then there's there's another level to that, which is the sort of you know VIP executive level experience, where they get to host people. So you. You have two different angles that you can approach. But then there's also some of the meteor stuff, which is really taking a look at the um, the sporting events that you're considering and also who else is sponsoring those sporting events and right. how you may be able to do business with those other corporations. So being able to be in the same room as another 
business that isn't necessarily B2C, maybe is more B2B for you. Um, mm. And being network in those ways. And like, I, if you're going to spend that much money, I think you want to squeeze every teeny tiny mm. drop out of that activation mm. that you possibly can. Right. And you mentioned money there. I mean, my perception and uh, I'm a B2B tech CMO and I've, um, that's pretty much where I've been most of my career. And, and very few of the organizations I've worked with have done any kind of sports marketing. It's just not somewhere where they've gone. And I wonder if some of that is there is a perception of a, if it's quite a high bar from an investment perspective. So therefore, you know, these days, you know what we like. We like everything to be attributed in digital. So um, yes. is, is, it, is, that the, is that a good perception that actually if you really want to make a difference in sports marketing, there's, there's a high cost of entry or is it something that anybody should think about? Um, well, I think the, I mean, obviously we, we spend a good bit of time in IndyCar and, and Formula mm-hmm. One. So I yeah. would say, you know, those probably aren't for everybody. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of other, um, uh, sports activations that you can consider. We've mm-hmm. done some work with a professional pool player. Um, right. uh, you know, we've had some conversations with somebody else in, in a similar space to ours who um, was able to make some really meaningful connections between a brand that they were working for and a um, and one of the city marathons. So mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, like what makes the most sense for your business and your brand that, that feels meaningful and, you know, goes back to some of the more obvious um, components that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I think ways to get involved and dabble. Obviously you don't need your, your logo to be on the side of a, of a building. Um, mm-hmm. you can kind of go in, see if it feels like it's something that, um, makes sense for you to spend your money on. And then, you know, just sort of like expand from there. Yeah. I liked what you were saying about the number of sort of benefits there are. There's obviously the, um, above the line, top line, what did you call it? Gen pop advertising where yes. you've got a consumer yeah. brand and you're just looking for eyeballs and awareness. But also there were some more subtle ways of approaching it in terms of of sponsorship so that you bring entertainment, so your best customers, for instance. Yes, and, absolutely. And actually, as an, as, and I was interested there as a networking opportunity as well of meeting these other brands. Is that 100%. what happens at these events? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, like if you if you look at one of the um, F1 teams, those mm-hmm. teams will have all of those logos on their um, on their vehicles and yeah. they'll host private events where the um, the folks that are, you know, related to the, whether it's the CMO or the CEO um, mm-hmm. will be invited to um, specific activations where they can, you know, rub elbows. And candidly, mm-hmm. you can tell that particular uh, team, hey, I want to meet um, this specific business. So yeah. they'll help with the facilitation of that as well. Sorry, Cujo wow. is barking in the background. <laughs> and th- the nice thing is, is that Cujo is the second dog I've had on the, uh, on the podcast. So that's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't feel too bad. <laughs> is he genuinely called Cujo? No. <laughs> no. Her name is... Her name is Mary, and she's maybe ten pounds, um, but she can she can bark like the best of them. So. That's fantastic. And then, so what sort of? Um, I mean, what sort what what sort of performance? What sort of um, return do these marketers see when they try these different activations? I mean, clearly, 
you know a big brand on the side of a car you know that's that, that's that's made yeah. by by brand resonance and that kind of stuff but do you do you see people getting a return from doing these more low-key things Yes, absolutely. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, and this is where, uh, you know, somebody in in my position partnering yeah. really closely with the um, the uh, brand marketers that we're working with, um, yeah. we can have those conversations and say, OK, how can we make this really meaningful and rich? Um, mm. Because we, you know, I do realize that it's a big investment and, you know, I want the business to feel like it was worth um, worth yeah. worth the money. Um, to be there in the first place. And we want them to walk away with something, you know, like, oh, wow, it's, you know, mm. not just a hypothetical. It's literally, we've got, um, we've expanded the business, um, at, yeah. you know, tenfold as a result of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I think there's a huge amount of value in looking after your customers, your top customers with something like that, isn't it? Even yes. If, even if you haven't got your name on the side of a car or whatever, the fact that you can give them that executive experience is, is, is pretty cool. So apart from contacting clandestine events or clandestine, how do I pronounce it in American? Clandestine events. How, what, <laughs> what would you, um, how would you suggest um, marketers kind of research and get into this kind of thing if, they, if they're thinking of doing sports marketing? Uh, oh man, that's a good question. I mean, you we'll know, uh, you, the obvious answer, <laughs> it, it, well, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Kelly at clandestineevents.com. Splendid. <laughs> um, so they can, I mean, you know, Google's an obvious first mm -hmm. start, you know, yeah. um, I do think there's, um, there are conferences that will touch on that and that's right, always a good right. way. And, you know, all joking aside, if anybody wants to talk to me, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty approachable. So, uh, mm. I don't charge by the email. <laughs> so if anybody <laughs> has a question or, uh, wants me to, um, you know, yeah. share any insights, I'm happy to answer yeah. any questions. And, and if anybody happy. needs any, um, Miami Formula One tickets, <laughs> for instance, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when I was in Vegas, I met with the Formula One folks over there. And, oh, wow. That uh, is wow, going to be an amazing race. I'm, yeah. I'm, yes. I'm a, well, when I lived in the US, I would watch some IndyCar, but it's obviously on later in the day here in the UK. But I'm a big Formula yep. One fan. And um, and, they, you, and the US is really putting on a show. Well, you were at Miami, yes. weren't you, with one of your clients? Was it Miami? You were at yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we were. Yep. Yeah, 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 nice, very nice. All right, so um, that splendid conversation. Thank you for that little education in sports marketing. And um, if of any, of the, any of the listeners have any questions, then you've given us your email address, which I'll also include in the show notes. So I'm going to get to our final question. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimple, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on overhype trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in? Well, I I really spent a lot of time thinking about this because I was like, this has to be good. <laughs> and then yeah. it hit me, political mm -hmm. ads. I wow. like we have, yes, because um, <laughs> you're immersed in them at the moment, aren't you? Oh yeah. my gosh. And they're yeah. texting now and yeah. I I mean, you know, it's the same emails over and over again. I, I get yeah. it. I get it. So mm. I voted yesterday and I was kind of wondering if maybe they'd stop harassing me after that. <laughs> Sadly, 
Uh, no, I'm still receiving those yeah. those ads. It would be really nice if uh, political ads would just I love go it. away. I love it. I love it. It's like it's like when you buy something and you wish it wouldn't show up in Facebook anymore, right? It's just like, go away. <laughs> yes. I've already bought it. Just go <laughs> right. away. All right. I'm embarrassed that. enough that I bought that thing as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the funny and 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 every market I talk to, I mean, I I, I talk to folks in the US all the time. At the moment, you're getting bombarded, aren't you? It's ridiculous. But anyway. Oh yes, yeah. Right so, now, it's so pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Best of luck with that. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, aside from your email address you've given us, where can they find you, Kelly? Uh, H, well, I don't need to give you that part. Um, Clandestine-events.com. Clandestine-events.com. That's where I'm And are you on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the socials? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you can pretty much find it there. But yes, um, just look for Kelly Bryan and you should find me. Brilliant. Well, and like I said, I'll include all the links in the show notes. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Kelly. And also um, say hello to our mutual friend, Ted Rubin, when you see him next time. I will. John. Absolutely. And um, I'll take I'll a photo of us. Just wow. to prove it. Hang on. I'll, 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 I'll okay. have to look all smart. Right. <laughs> there we go. They'll be so happy. I don't know if that makes good radio, somebody taking a photograph of us. But there you go. We just did it. Thank you very much, Kelly. Great. I'll um... awesome. <laughs> catch Thank up with you, you. soon. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kelly. Some ideas there to consider if you're thinking about sports events as part of your marketing. If you'd like to get in touch with Kelly, I will, of course, include all her links in the show notes that you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and be transported away for a cocktail and a marketing thought with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. I think this is a week, indeed, mm. where we need a stiff drink. Um, <laughs> so much, so much mm. to talk about. Yes. Um, and we'll get to that for sure. But uh, the idea of our cocktail this week, I was in the mood for something very fancy. Ooh. Um, and um, uh, so... You know, I, I was watching a movie, and they were making Brandy Alexander's, Ooh. and I thought that would be something to bring to the virtual bar. Yeah, and so that's what we're having uh, this week: our Brandy Alexander's, which mm-hmm. are very fancy looking. Anyway, yep. they're not that terribly hard to make, but they are—they uh, do look fancy, and you do need some. I guess relatively rare, which I'm sure you have in Ooh. your virtual bar there. Yes. Um, <laughs> basically it starts with uh, a little cognac. Ooh. Um, and then the, the, the Alexander part, I suppose, is a little, uh, dark creme de cacao, which is, you know, wow. sort of gives it that chocolatey sort of look and taste. And then cream, of course. This is not, by the way, one for those who are dieting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, a little nutmeg. It's great for the season, right? Wow. Just, you know, makes things that are, Nice for the season that, you know, the cool, the fall, the winter, um, as we get into American Thanksgiving and certainly the holidays of Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely holiday sort of feeling, uh, drink, which I have felt like here in Southern California is it's definitely turned, uh, to a more fall-like condition. So that's what we're having this week is the Brandy Alexander. Yeah. Fall in California is like high summer here, probably. (laughs) Ah, indeed. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. I love the sound of that. And I guess it's heavy cream. We've had discussions about heavy cream before. I mean, your inability to get. Oh, of course. Yes. Heavy cream. Yes. Yes. Was it? Which uh, is what, surprisingly hard to find in the UK. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, you were saying. Oh, right, so um, did you put any ice in that? Uh, no, this would, be shaken, <laughs> this would be shaken. As you pour ice into your glass, I can hear um, yeah. this would not be uh, one with ice. This would be you add the cognac, the uh-huh. creme de cacao and, and cream right. into a shaker with ice. Right. And then you shake that until it's well chilled. And then you pour the whole thing into a lovely martini glass. I like, you know, a, a good martini glass, which is lovely. And then you okay. garnish it with the nutmeg. That's very nice. And anyway, so I've just put glass in. Uh, yeah, so put I, the ice in there, yeah, for I sure. Put the yeah, ice in there. And I'm going to go with the most um, English or Scottish of, uh, of cognacs. The, of the cognacs. most English of heavy creams. Which <laughs> <is> <laughs> <good>. <laughs> now, hang on a minute. I'm going to put these in order. So I'm going with the Hendrix Gin, which we both know is the most English of, of cognacs. Con- yes. Cognacs? Cognacs? And uh, I shall, and as you know, the, the diversity of heavy cream here in, in the UK uh, I shall I shall replace the cream and the uh, creme de cacao with something the lovely people at Fever Tree have put together for me and have assured me is very similar, and that is uh, ah. tonic water. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. With with a little cucumber in it. So ah, yeah. That actually may be the most English of heavy cream. <laughs> exactly. Tonic with cucumber, yeah. <laughs> Drop the lid of me. Um, I dropped the lid of me tonic. Hang on a second. Let me give this a try. Mmm, that's delicious. I could drink one of these every week. And what are we calling that? Ah, uh, we are calling that a brandy Alexander, or in your case, a gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Um, and, delicious yes. and where will we be sipping these lovely cocktails this week? Well, I think we need some place again sophisticated. I know we mm-hmm. were in some place sophisticated last week as well, but it feels like if you're going to sip gin and tonics and brandy <laughs> Alexander's, you should be in somewhere sophisticated. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I'm going to uh, uh, rely on the, uh, the 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 sophistication of my my favorite really mm-hmm. city, other than where I live in Los Angeles, which of course is London. Oh, so I think. We need to find ourselves a nice place. Not, you know, I think mm-hmm. the last time we were in London, we found ourselves ensconced in a pub somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think this time we're going to find ourselves ensconced in some dark, which is not difficult to find in London, <laughs> um, some dark, lovely restaurant, quiet, where uh-huh. we can sip these Brandy Alexanders and our gin and tonics and, and, and sit and talk about sophisticated things you know wonderful things yes. and uh yeah, yeah in a in with a fire maybe going yes like i like your thinking and then some uh, classic dodgy british food coming our way <laughs> to keep us warm. it will indeed because the food doesn't really matter at this point. it's just about cocktails and um so uh, uh, am i picturing a uh, wingback chairs <laughs> a couple yeah. of old geezers in these wingback chairs uh talking about marketing i assume what would we be talking about this week well i think we can't escape the the <laughs> giant uh elanephant elanephant whatever the right would be in the room which is have you heard about twitter um you know it's, it's been really tell. interesting yeah 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 it's been a really interesting, and there is a bigger topic that we can talk about for yeah. sure here, which is the, the, what I have found people talking about clients, colleagues, et cetera, yeah. is 
this idea of, you know, the commonality that I'm finding is, is that there's a question of what's next, right? Mm -hmm. What, what, what's coming next? And what I mean by that is, is that, so we've got, of course, Twitter and we can talk about Twitter. Um, but we also just had our midterm elections here Mm -hmm. in the U S. And so regardless of how anybody feels about the results of such, the question remains for many of us like, okay, now what next, right? What's Mm going to come next? There's questions this week over, you know, interest rates and some looming global recession. Um, but yet I'm speaking with marketers every day who are busier than they've ever been. They're changing jobs. They're clamoring for more talent, but it's weird that there's this cloud on the horizon that doesn't Mm -hmm. seem quite real, but it also seems all too real because of course, big tech companies are now laying off people. Twitter, of course, is laying off. Facebook Meta announced that it was laying off a whole number of people. And what it, what it reminds me of is that it's a, it's a question that I've had and a discussion I've had with one of my mentors many, many times in my career, which is, you know, are we choosing our adventures or do they choose us? And what I mean by that is that you know, when we think about our goals or the waypoints by which we measure our capability to pivot to something new, um, we is, we of course have our self-imposed waypoints, right? Mm-hmm. Deadlines, goals, demarcations of some kind that we set for ourselves that say, okay, we've shown progress. Now we're going to change or this has failed. We're going to make a d- different decision. We set these milestones for ourselves. And when we meet those objectives, Hey, we feel accomplished and we move on to the next thing. Or when we fail to meet one of those goals or waypoints, they prompt us to say, okay, it's time to, to move on. However, the challenge is, is that we don't set all the waypoints ourselves. In many cases, right. they are set for us. Yeah. In other words, you know, we didn't choose the specific adventure that we have right now. It was chosen for us. We get laid off. There's an election that changes things. The world changes around us. And we also have to change with it. So they are different waypoints. Mm -hmm. The thing that we don't often do in the latter is that we don't look at that in the context of our own self-imposed waypoints. Let me give you an example. My world over the last couple of weeks has changed in a really positive way. I've had tons of new clients um, and tons of new, uh, you know, opportunities come my way. And I had to look at what those look like given the context of all of my goals and waypoints that I have looking ahead of me and adjust all of them, right? So mm-hmm. canceling a speaking engagement that I had, looking at some operational changes, looking at, you know, looking at all sorts of, you know, revisiting everything because these new ideas came into my world. Mm-hmm. And the reverse was also true. Like I was laid off. I was, you know, in, 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 in a, like so many these days. Back in 20 years ago, during the dot-com bust, I was laid off. And my first reaction was looking at my existing goals and saying, how am I going to meet them now? And getting really stressed out and feeling like a failure because I got laid off, none due to my own, you know, I wasn't fired for cause or anything. It was just I was laid off because of the economy. And so what I didn't do is look at my goals in context and realize that they're just illusions. They're mm. just illusions that we've set for ourselves and we need to actually have this fluidity to be able to keep them, lose them, change them as they suit our journey in the moment. And a productive exercise we can all go through 
and learn from the events of this week are that we can, we have the, we should and could have the power to change all those things anytime we want. Right. We shouldn't only look at them and changing them when something bad happens to us or something unexpected happens to us or when we're just planning for a year, etc. It's good to revisit those things mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. A week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever your right cadence is. But if the world changes around us, we can just realize that all these waypoints that we've set for ourselves are just illusions in time. And we can, we have the power to change all those things and realize that we can pivot, be different or keep the path. And I think it's just a good reminder. This week is a great reminder <laughs> of that. All of the unexpected waypoints that have been set for so many. Yeah. 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 And so this is mainly personal goals and personal waypoints that you're referring to here. It can be anything, right? right? You know, I mean, one, you know, there's a great, uh, there's a great quote, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book um, uh, Tools of Titans, the Tim Ferriss book. No. Um, which is huge and thick, and it's got sort of interviews with all of these, uh, all of these, you know, big thought leaders, mm -hmm. innovators, etc. And one of them, I mean, I, I, I hate the guy's politics, you know, Peter <laughs> Thiel. Yeah. Um, but he has a great advice when he talks about if you've got a 10 year plan of how to get somewhere, you should ask yourself constantly, how come I can't do this in six months? Right. You know, if I had to do this particular project in six months versus 10 years, what would I do? What, how would I approach it differently? Right. And, and it's a great question to ask yourself. So many times we get wrapped around, for example, the axle of quarterly results mm -hmm. or monthly goals. And we start asking, we start mapping to the waypoint rather than asking if the waypoint is right. Right. You know, and so right. it, it, even in something like where we've got a deadline for revenue increase or a number of leads increased yeah. or, you know, the things that are set either by us or for us without mm -hmm. our <laughs> <passive> permission, <laughs> mm -hmm. then we can ask ourselves constantly if are we basically are we are we studying for the test mm -hmm. or are we questioning the test itself? Right. And that's the real thing that we can do constantly. Yeah. And that's what this week was for me. It's like, this is a really good opportunity because there's so much change in the air. Yeah. Go, yeah. What are, what am I mapping to right now? Yeah, what, yeah. what am I, what is, you know, what would happen to me if I was laid off tomorrow, et cetera? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in good and bad ways, I think it can be a productive exercise. Right. And, and is, is, what's your habit with goal setting and with sex? I know that you're quite regimented with this stuff, aren't you? I'm relatively regimented, mm -hmm. I would say. I yeah. would say, you know, so I, I look at goal setting twice a year, mm -hmm. once in the summertime and once at the end of the year. The big one I do is at the end of every year, I take, you know, a day near or around New Year's Day and literally work on it all day. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably, you know, near or around my birthday, which is in June, right. I do the same exercise, but don't take quite as long. It's more of a review yeah, yeah. Than it is actually setting new goals. Right. My new goals are usually set at the, at the end of the year for the coming year. Mm -hmm. And I don't call them resolutions or new year's, <laughs> you know, promises yeah. or anything. I just, yeah. you know, I map out what I want. You know, yeah. what, what do I want? Yeah. And I set those waypoints, um, for the year based on what I want. What's mm -hmm. priority to me? Where are my, you know, top five priorities? And I keep right. it small. I keep that list very small. Yeah. Um, because I like to, 
you know, I like to be focused on it. And then once a month, I usually sort of just take a step back and take an hour or two and sort of review where I am and remap those waypoints based on, is this still what I want? Or, you know, because many times at the end of the year, I'll find, oh, I want to finish my book by the end of the year, right? And then I realize halfway through, it's like, you know what? That book isn't going anywhere and I I don't really enjoy (laughs) working on it right now. So instead of basically trying to meet that goal, it's like, no, no, no. The goal is just only as good as it suits me. Right. So book, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not, it's yeah. not productive for me. So yeah, it yeah. goes away. Right. And so See, I've, done that. <laughs> I've done that more times over the last <laughs> few years than I probably care to remember. But yeah, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. That's, and do you swap in idea. new goals when something, when you think, oh, actually, this isn't a goal anymore? Do you swap in? And I presume these are professional business and personal goals that you set this top five, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Business yeah. and professional is usually, yeah. there's less yeah. than five, usually yeah. five or less. Wow. No, I like this. I'd love to dig into more into how you how you do that, because I think it's quite an important, um, important way to live and run your professional life, isn't it? To, to look at your goals. Uh, it's worked for me. Mm. Uh, you know, that's all I can say, yeah. you know, and I think one of the one of, you know, for long term goals, what I what an exercise that I think is really uh, a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I just uh, challenged my my wife to do this. Yeah. Um, which is to write your like s- pretend like an event mm-hmm. uh you're going to keynote an event or you're going to speak in an event or you're going to be on a panel in an event and the conference organizer uh has come and asked you for your bio but it's five years from now oh wow and so you know or 10 years from now yeah, right yeah. you know so you have to write your bio as you five years from now yeah, you know yeah. and and it's a it's an amazing you know so what you have to do is you have to describe what you want to do but you have to write it in the past tense as if it's yeah. already been accomplished yeah and so it's a very interesting exercise for you mentally yeah. because what it makes you do is to say not i want to do this but i have done it mm-hmm. already yeah. and when you say i've done it already it makes you start thinking well holy moly i better have already started <laughs> <laughs> no i really like that and i was listening to a rerun of uh, one of seth godin's um, podcast episodes where he was talking about um, entrepreneurship and freelancers and actually you know you can have a really shitty boss and that's you right because you don't do these things you don't think about your goal setting and or any of those things because when you're your own boss you are your own boss and you can have a shit boss and it's you so i think these yeah, kinds of exactly techniques right. are great yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's it's it's a challenge right when yeah. you when you report to yourself <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, you yeah. you often don't get a lot of encouragement. <laughs> that yeah. way. I was gonna you, you, I was gonna write about that and use it as a title of uh, a Tuesday Two Cents, which is you know, <laughs> I, um, I have a shit boss. But then I thought if somebody quickly scans through LinkedIn, I could get myself in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, um, where can people find some of the great content you've been planning out for the last year? Uh, well, these days, it mm-hmm. seems to be more and more uh, <laughs> on the website because um, Twitter, boy, what a shit show that is um, right now. Yeah, we um, skated right past there. that. I, lo- I love you. I am there. I am there. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. And I have a blue check mark. I'm so excited. I I'm very excited for you, too. <laughs> I, that was sarcasm, folks, by the way, about being excited about my blue check mark. Um, Anyway, yeah, uh, contentadvisory.net is our mm-hmm. little hovel on the web. Yes, 
Splendid. And also, um, for the blue check conversation, I advise, I recommend people to listen to your This Old Marketing podcast because there's a bit of banter about that with your co-presenter, Joe Polizzi, as well. Uh, and, <laughs> and when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Oh, let's go LinkedIn these days. Let's, <laughs> let's just, let's just not even, let's just not even worry about the circus that is, uh, the, uh, the Twitter these days. Well, at least we now know it's you. So that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> at least I say it's me. You never know. All right. And is the authentic blue checked you going to be in the bar next week? It will indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Great advice on goals and choosing your adventure. And I will include links to Robert, the book he mentioned, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, alongside all the links from this episode in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Or you can also find all our previous episodes. So... That's a wrap on episode 140 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Kelly and Robert for sharing their insight. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. What do you think? Does the world need another Effing Martin podcast? Let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be back in the studio. I meet Robert Jordan, founder and CEO of Interim Execs. And Robert will be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll join us again next week here on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.